This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, sometimes on the internet, it's easy to feel like an invisible man. But you know what can help you become more visible? is having a great website. That's why you should check out our partners at Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make your ideas visible on the World Wide Web. (laughs) You can claim a domain, you can sell stuff online, market your brand, and they give you analytics so you can see all the people who are seeing you. Uh, Their websites have award-winning designs, world-class engineering, beautiful templates, and they give you powerful e-commerce tools, which you can use to set up a little shop for all your goo-gaws and your bits and bobs that you want to sell. Uh, there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And they have 24-7 award-winning customer support if anything goes wrong. So, Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch your website, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com overdue. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, Squarespace. Make it visible. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Do it all over again, but spooky, because it's Spooktober. Oh, yeah, it's Spooktober. Lightning noises. As you're listening to this, the the window shutters blow open behind you, and the wind blows in through the windows, and there's... bats (laughs) bats <laughs> and spooky witches and stuff i come to read your books <laughs> it's the spookiest month and we're here to read spooky Blah. book Blah. it's me count chocula Blah. get to the get to the blot synopsis um <laughs> We're going to read some books These that jokes may- like this are the lifeblood of spooktober <laughs> We're going to read some uh, books that may or may not be scary to you, to me, to everyone listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget. We used to say how many Spooktobers it's been, but I honestly, goodness, have lost count. Did we start well, doing it in 2014? I don't know, like man. Eight? Spooktober 8? Spooktober. The spookiest <laughs> thing of all is the unceasing <laughs> march of time. We can't wait till we get to a Spooktober X in space. Ooh, I cannot wait. <laughs> Um, so this is a Basically podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. It's usually a book that we have not read before, and it's usually a book that you've either heard of or that someone told us to read. That's how it goes. Um, our Spooktober lineup, uh, I want to say it up top just in case people are excited, and then I want you to tell me what you read this week, Andrew. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to say this week's book because it's the name of the episode, but next week, mm-hmm. Peace by Gene Wolfe. Uh, following that, Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Following that, her body and other parties by Carmen Maria Machado. And then we're closing out the month with Haunted Ohio, Ghostly Tales from the Buckeye State by Chris Woodyard. Uh, Andrew, what did you read this week? I read The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, which is about a literal invisible man. 
And yeah. this is so this is not to be confused with the book Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which we've also read for the show, which is about Ep- a figurative of invisibility. <laughs> Episode 223. Yeah. This is, uh, so the books have yeah. nothing to do with each other, so far as I can tell. Uh but yeah, we've read a couple things by H.G. Wells before. I don't know if you have anything I do. in particular that you wanted to hit me with as yeah. we get reacquainted with the work of Herbert George Wells. Oh, you mean um, Birdie, as his family and friends called him? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so this is our third H.G. Wells. <laughs> like how R.L. Stein likes to be called Bob. Hi, <laughs> um, I'm Bob. Episode 11, we talked about War of the Worlds. Episode 352, we talked about the time machine. Um, Some things that we've covered in those episodes include the fact that H.G. Wells was born in 1866, died in 1946. Along with Jules Verne, he's considered one of the fathers of science fiction, as we understand it today. Um, He really got into reading as a kid when he broke his leg. It's happened. That's all my notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he began publishing in you know magazines and journals and things before the Time Machine, his first novel in eighteen ninety five. Um, believe that, or that sounds a little late because this came out in eighteen ninety seven. I could have that date wrong. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, his hallmark was taking a single fantastic idea and putting it in the quote unquote real world. Some people have referred to this as like Wells' law. Um, which I don't think he ever called it that, but he's written about it and he put like a, a three or four paragraph explanation of it in a preface in the 30s. And I just pulled a quote for this one that seemed interesting. Okay. Any, anyone can invent human beings inside out or worlds like dumbbells or a gravitation that repels. The thing that makes such imaginations interesting is their translation into commonplace terms and a rigid exclusion of other marvels from the story. Then it becomes human. And he goes on to talk about how you can't have flying houses and talking animals and, 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 and in like, if you really want to get to the heart of what you're exploring. So H.G. Wells would have been against the movie Alien versus Predator. Or Cowboys versus Aliens. Or Cowboys versus... Well, yes, the two <laughs> the two well-known sci-fi concepts, Aliens and Cowboys. He might not have been a fan of Freddy Honestly, versus I think there's Jason. Just as much, there's just as much fictitious mythologizing around Aliens and Cowboys, You're let's right. be honest with That's each true. other. Um, um, but yeah, so he wouldn't have... He wanted, wanted the Invisible Man and like Dr. Jekyll to get together to form some kind of horror supergroup. No, and that's interesting um, well, because, of course, one of the things about the invisible man is that it was made it's been made into a number of stories and films um another like adaptations into a variety of media uh including most famously the 1933 universal studios adaptation which is where we get the like classic image of a guy covered in bandages wearing a smoking jacket and sunglasses Mm -hmm. um talking about his reign of terror those clips are wild (laughs) um but and i mean that's just that's just tuesday for (laughs) me (laughs) that puts the invisible man in the kind of universal horror like universe 
which they tried, they were going to make that into like a MCU a few years ago with that horrible mummy movie that Tom Cruise was in. Yeah, because what else was it? Was that like, uh, I think Creature from the Black Lagoon is yeah. universal. Like there's some other. Some Frankenstein, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's also an iteration of the Invisible Man in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's been adapted a lot. The Sean was- Connery one? I think so. Sean I, I don't Connery's know if he was last film. I don't know if <laughs> he was of in Extraordinary Gentleman. <laughs> I don't know if he was in the film. I know because that was a comic book first, so he might have been oh, in the okay. comics. Um, this there was an Invisible Man in 2020, starring Elizabeth Moss as a woman beset by an Invisible Man, and there were a number of uh, pretty rote articles that I found comparing the two between them. Um, Mostly that took just the concept of what if a guy could turn invisible and turned it into like a domestic violence gaslighting film, which is its mm-hmm. own thing. And I think sure people were like, it's its own thing. It is not what H.G. Wells intended. And I think, yeah, the invisible man in this one is not so subtle an operator. He's like, what if I use my invisibility powers to sneak up on you and kill you? And in so doing, establish a reign of terror that yep. would allow me to rule over a small village or town forever. Yeah. So this was his fifth novel. It was published in 1897. It was serialized weekly prior to its publication as a full novel. Um, I, it's his first of the major Wells books, uh, Time Machine and Dr. Moreau preceding it to be in like a third person as opposed to a first person narrator. The two inspirations that I could find that Wells had copped to were a series of comic ballads by Gilbert of Gilbert and Sullivan huh. called the Bab Ballads, which are like little poems that go along with goofy drawings I'd never really thought about Gilbert and Sullivan as separate. Two distinct people. people. Yeah, it's weird. Like Simon, like Simon and Garfunkel. Like, I don't know if they have <laughs> so, solo work from after they split up or what. Uh, there, was a, there was a quote from some one of the bad ballads called The Perils of Invisibility that said, Old Peter vanished like a shot, but then his suit of clothes did not which Wells has cited as inspiration for this, as well as a passage from Plato's Republic, which I didn't realize was a fantasy novel, um, because there's a whole part where they're talking about the legend of the ring of of Gygus, or Gygus, Mm -hmm. which is basically an ancient Greek version of the One Ring, where it's Mm -hmm. like you put it on and you can be invisible, and it is an exploration of the morality of... Is there a person so virtuous that being basically consequence free would stay a good person? Okay. Like the removal of the threat of consequences, would that lead you down a, a dark moral path? I mean, where do you come down on that? Because I have been living in the world for the last half decade, and I think even the promise of consequences yeah. doesn't keep some people from being Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I might be misre- misrepresenting it. I think the, the thing is supposed to be is like, is there a person pure of heart enough that this would not corrupt them? Because I think, I think so. the it, it might be arguing that everybody would be corrupted by Yeah, no, it. I think a lot, a lot of people would like to think that they're the one, but I don't think... I don't think so. I don't think so either. 
Um, that's kind of what I got. There's like, I don't know, I made a note that there's that movie Hollow Man in the year 2000 with Kevin Bacon. That's sort I'm of an Invisible Man. I'm reading here that there's a 2017 radio version Ooh. of the Invisible Man with John Hurt as the Invisible Man, which sounds pretty Whoa. Weird. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's what I got. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about other like... I think 19th into early 20th century horror novels. Cause I know we've read Frankenstein for the show. We've read Jekyll and Hyde for the show. And I, I want to put this in conversation context. with those yeah. because I did like, I was expecting it to be more like those and it is a lot like those, but it also does have spooky in it. In Ooh. A way that I wasn't quite expecting it to. So yeah. Okay. Like I knew I knew I, there's like, there's a high concept sci-fi thing that made it a good fit for spooktober but i wasn't expecting to be a little spooked by it the way that i was sick okay let's take a quick break let's disappear and then in a few minutes we'll reappear uh and talk about the book okay craig you know what the invisible man could could have used in what my you, opinion, what is therapy? Yeah, probably. You could use, if he had gone, maybe if he had gone to therapy, he would have killed all those people. I think, I think the Invisible Man just could have used someone to talk to. Yeah, you know, and someone mm-hmm. maybe who could actually see him mm-hmm. for who he oh, is. Yeah, even if he couldn't be seen, like that doesn't mean he can't be seen. You know, I hear you. And maybe mm-hmm. he should have talked to our friends, our sponsor this week, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. BetterHelp will assess your needs or the needs of the invisible man and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Uh, you can send them a message at any time. You can schedule and join weekly video or phone sessions all without sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room or having to work you know, one more commute into your schedule. Uh, the service is available for clients worldwide, visible or invisible. And as I said before, you can find expertise that matches your needs. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Andrew, I've got something else to tell you about. Oh, do you now? Yeah. It's okay. a, what is a it? podcast. Ooh. I know I we're like in those. one right now, but I thought it might... Can I tell you about another one? Yeah, I mean, I guess other people do have them. Yeah, it's true. We can't like, do anything about it. If you can't beat them, join them, you know? Yeah, and you could join the folks at Book Dreams, a show for everyone who loves books and misses English class. In each episode, co-hosts Julie Sternberg and Eve Yahalem explore all sorts of topics and the books that engage with them. They talk about magic. They talk about whether self-help books actually help. They talk about what made our favorite children's books successful. They talk about the book topics that you can't stop thinking about. And do you like author interviews, Andrew? I do like them. I like to hear their thoughts about their books and things that also aren't their books. Book Dreams has author interviews. Guests like Whoa. Tom Lynn, poet Jasmine Manns, freedom writer Charles Person, and many, many more. Book Dreams is brought to you by the Podglomerate. New episodes run every Thursday. You can listen by subscribing to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. All right, Andrew, I've taken off my invisibility cloak. I'm here again. Sorry, you thought I left, but I didn't. 
I'm here. <laughs> I mean, having the cloak be invisible rather than having you be invisible. Boy, that does seem, hmm, man, maybe the invisible man should have thought about that. Well, no, because, okay, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> All right. Okay. No, it would, it wouldn't Where do have you want to start? In the, in the way the invisibility works in this book, it wouldn't have worked that way. Okay, you sure. Have a cloak that would make everything that was under invisible for some reason. Yeah. Uh-huh. Though, mm, that doesn't, okay. So, <laughs> imagine, if you, if you will, that yes. you're in a small English village. And a guy comes to your inn, and he's just dressed from head to toe in weird stuff. He's got, like, bandages all over his face. He's got, like, this bright pink nose. He's got this very long, like, coat. And he wants to come and stay in your inn. And he wants to tinker up in your guest room and eat all the time and be kind of nasty to you and just stay at your inn. So okay, you're putting. Is this a riddle? Do I have to give no, an answer? No, it's not. It's not a riddle. It's the beginning of the book, Invisible Man. Okay, so sure. Eventually, the Invisible Man runs out of money to pay you, and you start to get a little bit mad about it. And there's a theft in the village. Uh, the vicar has the money, some money taken from him, under strange, mysterious circumstances. Okay, and this guy is being very dodgy and very confrontational. You're pretty sure that he probably stole that vicar's money. And then, as a lot of people in the village are starting to come and cause a scene, he declares to you that he's an invisible man, and he strips all his clothes off, and he like beats a bunch of people up, and he runs away. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! So you know, I, I let's, so let's talk about the structure of like of a Jekyll and Hyde or a Frankenstein or something. Like I think that most of them have a structure set up where I think this is true a little bit of the of the time machine too where they do have a sort of framing or like a a a part of the book where you are in the head of some other protagonist and you notice that something not quite right is going on and so there's an early part of the book where maybe there's a little bit of investigating or you're talking to somebody about like strange doings that have been a going on and then uh, eventually you get to the point of the book where the mystery is revealed and through pseudoscientific means a monster has been created (laughs) yeah and then the rest of the book after that is sort of dealing with the aftermath of of what the monster has wrought or some something like that it's been almost a decade since we read jekyll and hyde but i'm 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 like googling real quick to clarify this but as i recall there really isn't much in that book until maybe the end that mm-hmm. is anywhere close to being from jekyll or hyde's perspective it's all the yeah. other guys like following him around and it's like the parts of the holmes novels that are all like watson's perspective mm-hmm. where you're wondering where this cool detective is <laughs> and it's he's he's away from you so that you the reader also are a little behind the eight ball as it were it's- it's sort of like that in this too. Like the invisible man is there from the jump. He's causing trouble from the jump, but you are halfway, maybe a little bit more than halfway through the book, even before the invisible man actually sits down and tells you his tale of woe. Huh? But I think the, the main difference between invisible man and those two other books, and I'm going to keep coming back to those because those are the ones that we've, yeah, sure. That we've done, and they are sticking out in my mind, and they also are like they help me make my points. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Uh, whatever. Only but, lean um, on the ones that help you make your point. I see how it is. But I, there is an element of horror in those books, yes, because one is about a man who is a bunch of different parts of different dead people and then has become re- reanimated. Yeah. And then the other one is about the evil that sort of lurks in the hearts of all humankind. So there is the, you know, there, there are horror elements of it, but I think those books are also defined by the tragic circumstances. Like the, the Frankenstein's monster is actually a, a a gentle soul who is misunderstood because of the way that he looks. Yep. Um, Dr. Jekyll definitely is a tragic figure. He just like got in over his head and didn't, bargain on the evil in him being able to like overpower him eventually yeah um this book is more straight up just like this guy actually is a monster mm. and he becomes a i think the the comic booky uh stuff you were talking about is interesting because i think this is sort of the it, it's definitely an archetype for a person who has some scientific mishap happened to them and that for that reason they have snapped and become evil. <laughs> yeah. Sure, like a Doctor Doom or something. Yeah. Or even like a Joker who falls into acid yep. and now he's the Joker. So what you're saying is that the Invisible Man is twisted. The Invisible Man is the original Joker. <laughs> he has all sorts of tattoos on his face, but you can't see them. You can't see them because he's invisible, yeah. Well, okay. So this is like he sticks out his tongue, and all you can see is a little like barbell piercing thing that he has because he's so twisted. Structural thing. It sounds like by by front loading this with maybe some innkeeper stuff. It like the book doesn't start with, "Hey, I'm a scientist. I'm gonna solve a problem." And oh no, because that's kind of what the time machine does, if I recall right. Where it's like a guy's like, "What if?" time machine and then like it goes mm-hmm. wa- bad from there mm-hmm. or but, even like the fly if you want to talk oh, about that. sure like that yeah. that's a scientist who's like i've got an invention that i think will be good oh no i'm a fly but this we meet him as the post experiment <laughs> when jeff goldblum said that in the fly yeah oh no i'm a fly yeah i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a, I'm a fly <laughs> uh oh no it's pretty good but this guy we meet already gone through his villain transformation. Well, and he's not exactly like knifing people in the alley <laughs> at night. Like he's not okay. He's not fully like super villain, cartoonishly evil yet. But he does take that turn as he is sitting and telling his story to uh, Kemp, who is this like guy who I, he went to school with. Mm. So okay, he gets chased out of this village. He has this like altercation with a uh, with with some guy who he meets like walking around in the streets because the invisible man like, he, you know, he can't stay anywhere usually because he's invisible. It's hard for him to get food like something I really enjoyed about this. The tale of him becoming invisible is he's like, I'm invisible. I'm going to be awesome. And. I think that's how a lot of us would think about being invisible. Like I'm invisible. I can, nobody would see me. I could do anything. 
it'll be so freeing to to not be visible. And in this book, like instantly people just start like bumping into him because he can't because mm. they can't see him and like knocking him down. And he's causing <laughs> panics in public spaces because people keep bumping into something they can't see. And also he has to be totally starkers to be invisible because yeah, <laughs> like the clothes are still visible. Uh huh. <laughs> so he's just wandering around like the the cold English countryside totally naked. <laughs> This is and good. He's in, it like instantly he's like, oh no, this is this is not great. And when he's he's talking to this guy later, and he says, I immediately like have come to see everything about invisibility as a downside, except except I can approach people without them seeing, and I can get away from people without them seeing. Those are two <laughs> big so, powers. And so when he's talking about his reign of terror, that's what he's saying like I am that's what I'm the most equipped to do as an invisible man is come in, quickly kill somebody and then leave without getting caught. And huh. that is how I will enact my reign of terror. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> but this book is just so not what I was exp- I was not expecting the invisible man just to be a big jerk. <laughs> okay. You were expecting him to be more of a of a tragic yeah, scientist more tragedy. figure, yeah, or even like for him to have more interest in like returning to the way that he was. Can like I, it certainly when when he's investigating and researching invisibility, he is you know he's driven by the scientific discovery and by becoming famous for his scientific discovery. But he's like by the time you're at the end of the book, like he's made some cursory efforts to become. the visible visible again (laughs) but can i so can i he he settles into the the comfortable rut of oh i will just start a reign of terror and that'll be my whole thing like he gets to that pretty how did he and i i recognize it sounds like we don't find this out until a little ways into the book but like what was he was he just like i'm a good scientist what's something other people haven't done it's be invisible i'm gonna work on that or is there like a so you so he you know he has all these adventures in the english countryside then he breaks into this guy's house is this guy dr kemp and uh the invisible man and kemp went to school together yep whom's among us doesn't have one of those college friends am i right (laughs) and so the invisible man it's revealed to us is a man named griffin and griffin is an albino Okay. And perhaps because of his like experience with like pigmentation or something like that that is the bent that his thoughts start taking is like okay why do we, why do we see anything? Oh, we see it because every object like absorbs some part of the visible light spectrum and like reflects or refracts some other aspect of the visible light spectrum. Yeah. And so he gets to this like if you could somehow make an object so that it wouldn't do that you can make it effectively invisible sure because it yeah um and and he so he's talking to Kemp and still still sort of talking about his early days and like this is his this is the thing he's working on and he's working in a lab with some professor who just wants all the students to like come up with cool stuff and then take credit for them which is which is very it's it's a real concern i think yeah uh-huh um it's for professors who are not actually engaged day-to-day with the lab work coming in and swooping in and, and claiming credit for something that all of their like assistants and student workers yeah do. yeah um 
and so he he makes the he discovers this this way of doing this. He sets up like a couple of different machines that like put out you know special radiation. It's like it's it's one of those scientific discoveries where it is pretty specific that that it's about like the the like altering how light interacts with an object, but then the rest of it is like, oh, I wrote I wrote it down in these books. We don't have to like get into it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there, there's something from that from that Wells thing I read earlier where he says, uh, by the end of last century, it had become difficult to squeeze even a momentary belief out of magic any longer. It occurred to me that instead of the usual interview with the devil or a magician, an ingenious use of scientific patter might with advantage be substituted. <laughs> there was That was no great discovery. I simply brought the fetish stuff up to date and made it as near actual theory as possible. Which is just like, yeah, this is basically, you could have written a story like this with a magic spell gone wrong but let's dress it up in some science it'll have a little extra science resonance and now i get to explore the topic of what if a man invisible well where's that quote about like any sufficiently advanced science oh, is yeah. distinguishable from magic there's that from? like it, yeah. it is it's a an interesting way to play with the same ideas but to do it in a in a way that people are less I don't know, like inert too, or like less. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's fresher because yep. when you when you have magic in it, it does. I think especially in like this era of literature, I think that would have more of a like a childish yeah. connotation to yes. it because yes. you know those are the the young minds that are that are unlearned enough to to well, think that magic might exist and so it's easier to do it in a kid's book than in well, an adult and that book. might I'm painting with a pretty broad brush. No, but. but I would say that would be related to something like the Grim Tales, which had been collected and like dispersed with this idea of like what do we do with all these fairy tale stories and we'll punch them up a little bit. Um but yeah, if you did this with <laughs> it makes me th- the brothers Grimm just sitting in an office, like smoking big cigars, being like, "Yeah, yeah, punch that up. Give, a, give the kids what they want, or something. Make them put, make them, make her put them in the oven." Ah. <laughs> but yeah, it, this and I, I saw some other quote where um, Wells and some of his contemporaries were talking about writing boys' books for adults with some of this like early science fiction stuff, where you're writing something that could be simpler still as fantastical uh but you've decided to like investigate it a little more thoroughly yeah but this is a, a child like meeting a an elfin creature yeah, in, the, yeah. in the woods it's a it's a 29 year old man coming but up he's with not, advanced but, scientific theories in his lab laboratory but to your point about like this not feeling as much of a tragedy. Like he is not trying to cure some mysterious illness and then no, no, no. He wants himself... to be he wants he wants to be famous and he doesn't want to yeah. share credit with anybody. Okay, sure, yes, uh huh. <laughs> okay, this great. Is, this is. I mean, you already got an inkling that maybe the Invisible Man is kind of a jerk from how he has treated every single person around him. Sure, in the book so far, and you know, my my mind is like, okay, he's an invisible man. Maybe that's stressing him out. (laughs) And he's not his best self when he's dealing with all these people. But no. So he (laughs) comes to Kemp's house and you get all kinds of interesting little things about invisibility. Like when he eats, you could just see the chewed up food, like hanging out in the air until it gets absorbed into his system. Yes. Because the light 
still gets like absorbed and reflected off of the food. Oh my god, my brain is going like, are is all is his like gut biome? Has he made all of his bacteria? All of his bacteria is invisible, yeah. But you gotta have the food digested before it becomes sure. Yeah. And then like he's smoking a cigar, and you can, you can see, see the smoke. Whole, you could see his whole like throat and nose situation yes. because it's just like a, a little smoky thing that's hanging in the air. There'd be some good effects for a movie in here, I think. And also some cheesy effects like when the invisible man is holding a gun and it's just a gun floating in the air. Like you uh-huh. could do just like here's a gun on a string or you could do here's some rad CGI like smoke up in this guy's like yeah. situation. This sounds good to me. This is good. Okay. Uh, what does Kemp so, think so what, about this? Kemp is so Kemp has the the so Griffin has told Kemp I just need I need to eat I need to sleep I need somebody to sort of be my accomplice because while I'm invisible I can't like interact with society or like get the stuff that I need to continue my experiments so maybe we can just hang out and be chill about it and having read some of the reports in the newspapers about there being an invisible man who has caused some, some level of like injury and uh, bedlam in the surrounding countryside. Kemp writes a, like a telegram to the local policeman and then takes it upon himself to like keep uh, the invisible man occupied. And so this is where we hear the invisible man's tale of woe. And and this is, it, it makes it, painfully clear that Kemp has made the right call by turning this invisible man into the authorities. Oh, because first it's, he's in, he's in his apartment and he's turning, he's doing experiments to make stuff invisible. He turns like a cat that he found off the street invisible and then just like, lets it go. Oh no. His landlord comes looking for the rent and he turns himself invisible and then burns the house down. Whoa. So that people can't come and claim his scientific discoveries for for their own. This is why he has these like books that he's very protective of that he's trying to find somebody to take care of. Um, he is he starts like stealing stuff. He d- goes into this person's house and like robs them and like ties them up and just leaves them tied up. Um, and uh, assuming that someone will be along to free them. But like, is he doing most of this naked? Dead. Oh yeah, most of it naked. Yeah, because he was he he's trying to find clothes so he can sort of be wrap himself up and become acceptable enough to society to like operate in it to go like buy some bread or something. Yeah, which is the position that he's in at the beginning of the the book. Um, but yeah, he just keeps doing all this like crappy stuff to people, and then he starts talking about. Like, here's what being invisible is good for. It's good for causing a reign of terror. <laughs> Let me see if I can find. And that, the, that's like, oh, I pulled. His, the- I, I think his original sin was like when he started running out of money, eventually he robbed his father mm. and the stress of that caused his father to, to take his own life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and, so big. He, and he didn't, he didn't really, he went to the funeral, but he didn't really care about it. He didn't feel anything. Huh. So he's like a bad. There are a lot of things that are bad. He's a bad dude. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just let's, let's just read a little bit about the Invisible Man's thought process here. Okay. 
Hitherto, I have gone on vague lines. We have to consider all that invisibility means, all that it does not mean. It means little advantage for eavesdropping and so forth. One makes sounds. It's of little help, a little help perhaps, in housebreaking and so forth. Once you've caught me, you could easily imprison me. But on the other hand, I am hard to catch. This invisibility, in fact, is only good in two cases. It's useful in getting away. It's useful in approaching. It's particularly useful, therefore, in killing. I can walk around a man, whatever weapon he has, choose my point, strike as I like, dodge as I like, escape as I like. Kemp's hand went to his mustache. Was that a movement downstairs? So Kemp has called the cops and he's waiting for yeah, the cops to sure, come up. Sure. He's trying to keep the invisible man distracted. And it is killing we must do, Kemp. It is killing we must do, repeated Kemp. I'm listening to your plan, Griffin, but I'm not agreeing, mind. Why killing? Not wanton killing, but a judicious slaying. The point is they know there is an invisible man, as well as we know there is an invisible man. And that invisible man, Kemp, must now establish a reign of terror. Yes, no doubt it's startling, but I mean it, a reign of terror. He must take some town like your burdock and terrify and dominate it. He must issue his orders. He can do that in a thousand ways. Scraps of paper thrust under doors would suffice. And all who disobey his orders, he must kill and kill all who would defend them. So has he just reached the logical conclusion that because he cannot function in society except as a murderous, invisible hand of the market, I guess, <laughs> um, he must... You could just say invisible hand of the market, Greg. Yeah. He must become like a god and control everyone because like, there's no other way for him to exist effectively is that i mean that's that's implied but like the leap that you get from like the the way you could respond to this is please help me kemp please give me a place to stay so i can conduct experiments and become visible again yeah and share my scientific findings with the world and become famous like i wanted to in the first place well you could is the closest thing like it's still selfish in a lot of ways but it is it is the more virtuous path when compared to the <laughs> reign of terror path yeah it's a it's a sort of feel like he's like he's in an early video game where they're like you can decide whether to be good or evil and in this one dialogue tree you can either choose to reverse the awful experiment that you've done or you can try to intimidate the person you're talking to and create a reign of terror oh my God. and become evil. Yeah, yeah. But well, yeah, he's just he's just decided, you know what? I'm cool with being invisible and I am going to bend the world to my invisible will rather Cuz no one than, else is invisible. Yeah, no one else is invisible and I'm the guy who's smart enough to become invisible and I can't exist in the regular world, so let's do the reign of terror thing and that's yeah. how I can exist. Okay. Okay. Does this work for him? I bet it oh, doesn't. Oh, no. He, so the cops are called, and he is, I mean, he does kill somebody, and there it is very tense. And this is, so this is like the spooky yeah, hit me. horror part of the book is like, the Invisible Man has it out for Kemp now for like betraying him and narking to the cops. Yeah, well. How he's an Invisible Man. How dare he? <laughs> and, um, and, and so it's, yeah, it's like Kemp knowing that someone like this is the exact thing that that the invisible man has said is the greatest advantage of being invisible is you will not see me coming and I will kill you. Mm. And so Kemp knows that there is a very mad invisible man, a very mad, very invisible man out there who has it out for him. 
And so that is pretty spooky. Like the part of the book where he's like breaking all of Kemp's windows and like axing in his, his door and you're not quite sure where he's coming from. Like that's pretty spooky. It's some spooky stuff. That stuff feels like it's more like it becomes a, a it's like a ghost a story. horror movie a yeah. little bit yeah. because he's you know you got the axe murderer who's trying to cut, get in the house and get you yes and you can and you can't see him you don't know where he is are there spots where people are like hearing him move around like yeah we get some like spooky footsteps and stuff yeah there's the, the whole sequence where he like ties that guy up is because he goes into this house to try and find clothes and food and he just keeps making sound and the guy can hear really good and so he keeps <laughs> he keeps being like is somebody in here jeez i'm gonna lock all the doors i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot you with this gun that i have if i find you and i mean the guy is not assumed oh there must be an invisible man in here because no he doesn't know that invisible men exist like, exactly this is before He's revealed himself to all the all the people in that village he's in. He's still in the city trying to escape. Okay, okay. So he's terrorizing Kemp. Yeah. And then what I mean, happens? It's like, oh, and then he and Kemp get in a fight and all like Kemp has put out and it's I've had you know, in books and movies where there's like a famous person and but they're and they're like everybody thinks they're great but really secretly they're a big jerk and then they have this big public moment where everyone realizes that they're a jerk and then everyone turns on them sure i'm thinking about like think about the movie coco like i think that was the last like big movie where i was where i was like this would this isn't how this would actually work because that's not how fame and like the cult of personality works okay i get so this book ends with Everybody in a society coming together and doing the same thing for the good of all the people who live in that society, even if it inconveniences them personally. Which is what? And they also are willing to believe things that happen in newspapers and also things that happen in front of their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And so this is a part of the book where that bummed me out a little bit. Is like Kemp puts out the alarm. Everybody in like a hundred square mile radius is like, I'm going to lock. We're going to, we're going to do what this guy says. We're going to lock up, lock the doors, lock up the food. Like this guy, we're, we're going to walk. We're going to get our dogs cause they can sniff him. We're going to like swing clubs at emptied spaces and try and find them. Like, we're just going to have a whole society wide effort to find this invisible man because I know what he needs and I know what his weaknesses are and we can, we can stop him from enacting his reign of terror if we all work together briefly and do this thing together. Okay. And it's like, wouldn't it be great if that's the way the things worked? Yeah, it would. And it, it sounds like saying, it's pretty I'm not easy saying in the world been, of this novel. Yeah, I'm not saying it would have been unrealistic in the time of the novel. I'm just saying that we're living through yeah. a time when it is literally impossible and it's is, tearing society apart. It sounds like we don't meet anyone in this book who's like, how can I become an invisible man? No, we don't meet anybody. We, who's okay, like there's no like devotees of the... Because invi- I feel like today there'd be like invisible man denialists mm-hmm. and then there'd be deniers, not denialists. That's not a word. Deniers. And, and, and then, then there'd be and then there'd be people who are like, I don't even need to be invisible. I just want to follow this invisible man around. Like he yes. sounds great. This yes. is an extremely unlikely explanation for a lot of things that are happening, but that makes it more likely to be true in my mind because yes. nothing is as it seems. Uh-huh. 
And then there'd be people who'd be like, come at me, Invisible Daddy. And mm-hmm. everyone would be like, well, I don't go. I don't want to go to that part of the internet. But yeah, yeah. <sighs> Man. See, this is what Anyways, this is what the modern adaptations are missing. <laughs> It's by like adjust- the internet, re- the Twitter response to the Invisible yes, Man. Yes, the Reddit sleuths tracking down the Invisible Man is like a whole different thing. And there would be all kinds of people on on centrist Twitter being like, more invisible women. Oh, no! <laughs> what if a rain of terror for everyone? Um <laughs> Okay, so but anyway, no, the town he gets comes caught. together he gets, mob justice style? Yeah, mob justice, and then he gets killed, and then when he's dead, his body becomes visible again. Whoa. And that's the end. And then there's this little epilogue where this guy in town runs the Invisible Man in. Yes. And he sometimes just kind of, like, he doesn't understand the Gr- Griffin's scientific invisibility books, which he has found and has kept from Kemp. This rules. But he does sort of read them and just kind of chuckle to himself. And uh, and yeah, so he basically becomes like a cryptid, like yes! a Mothman sort of. I love of, this part, <laughs> like urban legend. Yes, the legend of the Invisible Man, and that's the end of the book. Do you ever you hear about our town's Invisible Man? Yeah, he <laughs> came in here and he stole my money, and then we all killed him. Mm-hmm. Ruled. Here's mm-hmm. his books. Ah, that oh, I want to go to that. Ni- store. It was a night just like this. <laughs> that, <laughs> please, please stop in the Invisible Man gift shop to get. Your visible t-shirts and visible shot glasses. Yeah, we built this Ripley's Believe It or Not real quick here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, right next to the Hard Rock Cafe. Anyway, so like spookier than you expected. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I, I, I like this one. I thought it was, and it's a short read too. And I want to, I'm not sure if it's one of the ones you can get for free. I'm sure it is. readers because it's in the public domain. I think, I think it is. Yeah. But, um, it's old enough. Oh, there's also a, there's a wiki source link that I'm seeing on the yeah Wikipedia page too. So yeah, if you're looking for just a, a light spooky read and you've never run into Wells or you've read other or you've read like War, War of the Worlds or something and haven't haven't read this one, you know, like yeah, it's it's a good way to get into the October state of mind. I find yeah, it seems like a different can of worms than Worlds or. Uh, time machine. machine. Yeah, because yeah, it, it feels like it has less world building going on, and it feels like it's about something a little smaller mm-hmm. in a way. I don't know. Yeah, because it's just like, here's one invisible man. He is not like messing with the fabric of time. It's not visitors from another world like coming and fundamentally changing our society. It is just one guy who is invisible, and then we killed him, and there, and that was the end of it. Yeah, I did find an essay someone wrote all about the isolated scientist. It's called literally Exchange Short-Circuited, The Isolated Scientist in H.G. Wells' Invisible Man by Gene Murray Walker. Basically, like, what is what are the tensions between late 19th century Victorian society and this, like, class of aristocratic genius who toils in his little academic study to create scientific <laughs> advancements for like himself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I was reading the abstract of that essay and got like, I, I kind of wish 
Elon Musk didn't was just like off in his study somewhere and was way less public. <laughs> it was just like way less public. Like right now, I feel like the the types of people who would become invisible men are way too public right now. I think the only thing keeping those guys from being invisible man is invisible men is is like no people would pay less attention to them maybe if they were invisible. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. That's probably and true. that's and that's the only reason why any of these people do anything. So yeah. I also read something that said that the Invisible Man's eyes won't work. Yeah, because the way that your eyes work is because like light goes into your corneas or what. I'm not a into scientist. your rods and cones. Yeah, into your rods and cones, and then that's how you see. And if light can't hit any if hit anything, then you can't see nothing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the Invisible Man. <laughs> that's the kickoff to Spooktober 2021. Yeah, I was I was thrilled and chilled. I would not like and there to be an invisible man in my house. No. Only visible men in my house, please. Yes. And like not too many, please. Just get a sign that says this this home welcomes invisible vi- visible men, visible women, visible children, visible pets. <laughs> I want now I I want to make a Halloween yard sign that's just no invisible men in this house like <laughs> Invisible, invisible is not allowed, and the S is backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to see what people say, they won't. Yeah, get just it. sort of coming up with a new brand of discrimination based on a person's opacity. Oh would my be, god, would be good. I think. Yeah, that's that's why it would suck, and I shouldn't actually do this idea anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking about "Peace" by Gene Wolfe. I understand it's a strange one. Oh, good. That's this all is I the know. time of year for spooky and strange yeah. doings. <laughs> Lots of doings. Thanks for telling me about the Invisible Man, Andrew. Glad you got to see Thanks. him. Thanks. Yeah. If folks want to tell us about the times that they turn invisible, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us or up how on... About, what, would you, what would you do with invisibility other than establishing a reign of terror? Do you yeah. have other ideas? Can we, can we push back on this guy's notion that that's all invisible people are good for? Yeah, it's reigns of terror. Yeah. Let us know what else we could do with our newfound invisible powers. Um, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at OverduePod. Thanks to Michelle, using him... Kelly, Alex, Ingrid, Caitlin, Kara, Liz, Julian, Mario, Stephen, and Sarah, and many more for reaching out to us in the past week. Our theme song is by Nick Lorangis. Andrew, folks want want to know more about the show. Where do they go? (laughs) Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links you can use to subscribe to the show. We also have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Uh, If you click those, they take you to bookshop.org. You can... Buy a copy of the book, read along with us. Your local independent bookstore gets a cut of that, and everybody's happy. That's not that's not spooky. That's just good financial sense, it's, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Craig already told you what we are reading for the rest of the month. You want to remind them what? Yes, you already said Peace by Gene Wolfe. Cool. Yep. Peace. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. It's We're so happy to embark upon another Spooktober with all of you. And until we talk to you next time. Try to be ghastly. Ghastly.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.